We're in the section of the Catechism where we're looking at Christ as our Redeemer and Mediator, the one that God has sent us to be our Savior. And we've been looking at His natures, His person, and His work. And in particular right now, we're looking at His, at his offices. Christ fulfills three offices as our Redeemer. We see this in the Old Testament foreshadowed. We see these offices of prophet, priest, and king. These are the offices where you are anointed by God for a service in a particular way, as prophet, a priest, or a king. And we see them all fulfilled in Christ, our prophet, priest, and king. And tonight we're looking at question 25. I'll read the question if you'll respond together with the answer. How doth Christ execute the office of a priest? Christ executeth the office of a priest and is once offering up of himself a sacrifice to satisfy divine justice and reconcile us to God and in making continual intercession for us. Now let's turn to the Scriptures and, uh, and see this in the Scripture as well. Our first text is Leviticus 4, 1 through 21. Uh, this is just a sampling of much of the material in Leviticus that shows forth for us what Christ is going to do as our priest in, a, in, a, in the types and shadows of the Old Testament law. So Leviticus chapter 4, reading here about some of the work of the priests in the Old Testament and the sacrifices. Leviticus 4, 1 through 21, God's Word. Now the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel, saying, If a person sins unintentionally against any of the commandments of the Lord and anything which ought not to be done, and does any of them, if the anointed priest sins, bringing guilt on the people, then let him offer to the Lord for his sin which he has sinned, a young bull without blemish as a sin offering. He shall bring the bull to the door of the tabernacle of meeting before the Lord, lay his hand on the bull's head, and kill the bull before the Lord. Then the anointed priest shall take some of the bull's blood and bring it to the tabernacle of meeting. The priest shall dip his finger in the blood and sprinkle some of the blood seven times before the Lord in front of the veil of the sanctuary. And the priest shall put some of the blood on the horns of the altar of sweet incense before the Lord, which is in the tabernacle of meeting. And he shall pour the remaining blood of the bull at the base of the altar of the burnt offering, which is at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. He shall take from it all the fat of the bull as the sin offering, the fat that covers the entrails and all the fat which is on the entrails, the two kidneys and the fat that is on them by the flanks, and the fatty lobe attached to the liver above the kidneys, he shall remove as it was taken from the bull of the sacrifice of the peace offering. And the priest shall burn them on the altar of the burnt offering. But the bull's hide and all its flesh with its head and legs, its entrails and offal, the whole bull he shall carry outside the camp to a clean place where the ashes are poured out and burn it on wood with fire where the ashes are poured out it shall be burned. Now if the whole congregation of Israel sins unintentionally and the thing is hidden from the eyes of the assembly and they have done something against any of the commandments of the Lord in anything which should not be done and are guilty, when the sin which they have committed becomes known, then the assembly shall offer a young bull for the sin and bring it before the tabernacle of meeting. 
and the elders of the congregation shall lay their hands on the head of the bull before the Lord. Then the bull shall be killed before the Lord. The anointed priest shall bring some of the bull's blood to the tabernacle of meeting. Then the priest shall dip his finger in the blood and sprinkle it seven times before the Lord in front of the veil. And he shall put some of the blood on the horns of the altar, which is before the Lord, which is in the tabernacle of meeting. And he shall pour the remaining blood at the base of the altar of burnt offering, which is at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. He shall take all the fat from it and burn it on the altar. And he shall do with the bull as he did with the bull as a sin offering. Thus he shall do with it. So the priest shall make atonement for them, and it shall be forgiven them. And he shall carry the bull outside the camp and burn it as he burned the first bull. It is a sin offering for the assembly. Now to the New Covenant. Reading Hebrews chapter 7, verses 23 through 28. Hebrews chapter 7, 23 through 28. Also, there were many priests because they were prevented by death from continuing. But he, because he continues forever, has an unchangeable priesthood. Therefore, he is also able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. For such a high priest was fitting for us who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, and has become higher than the heavens, who does not need daily as those high priests to offer up sacrifices, first for his own sins and then for the people's. For this he did once for all when he offered up himself. For the law appoints as high priests men who have weakness. But the word of the oath, which came after the law, appoints appoints the Son who has been perfected forever. Thus ends the reading of God's holy word. Let's pray together. Lord, we pray that you would give us grace to read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest your holy word. We pray that you would reveal to us more of our Savior, strengthen our faith in him, teach us to be more faithful followers of him. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The text we've just read from Hebrews, and the text before that in Leviticus, is all about priests. Much of the whole book of Hebrews, actually, is about priests. That's what the meat of the book of Hebrews is. It's about Priests And in the first century, when it was written, priests were pervasive. They were central to Jewish life. Everyone knew a priest and knew what a priest did. They'd been central to Jewish life since the time of Moses, as we read in Leviticus. They're at the heart of Jewish religion. And they're common in other cultures around Israel as well. That these, uh, you know, the, the cultural context that this uh, epistle to the Hebrews or sermon to the Hebrews was, was written in is one in which Other cultures had priests as well for their religions, for their gods. Priests were important, and and their job was seen as important. How different our day, isn't it? Uh, We look around us, and we we see priests. The Catholic Church has priests. uh, But that's probably the only exposure we have to what a priest is and what a priest 
does. And so I think it's worth starting tonight by asking a basic question, which is, what are priests for? What does a priest do? What's the essence of a priest's job? If we uh, don't start here, we're not going to understand what all this talk in Hebrews about a priest is. If we don't understand what a priest is for, we won't understand why it's so important for us, what kind of priest we have. If we don't understand what a priest does, we won't appreciate what the author of the Hebrews is telling us here. Right? It'll look, uh, it'll look irrelevant to us, like something for a bygone age. What is a priest? What's a priest do? What's a priest for? If we look at the Bible, it tells us that a priest's job is to represent us before God. And that means two fundamental things. It means that the priest's job is to make atonement to God for our sins, and the priest's job is to represent us before God and intercede for us uh, before God. The priests are to to make atonement for the sins of the people. They're supposed to stand between God and man and and hold out the offering for sin and say, forgive them because of this. They're supposed to be peacemakers, bringing favor uh, between God and his people. And they're supposed to represent the people to God in praying for them, interceding for them. So those are the two big aspects. The main components of the priest's job in the Old Testament was to reconcile and to intercede. So the question for us, do you need a priest? Do you need someone to take your sin and your guilt and and, and reconcile you to God? Do you need that? Do you need someone to cleanse you and make you holy, sanctify you so that God's wrath turns away from you and His favor is towards you? Do you need God to bless you? then you need a priest. Do you need someone to to pray for you before the Lord? Someone to intercede for you and and pray that God would bless you? Then you need a priest. If you need God's grace, if you need His blessing, then you need a priest. That's what Scripture shows us. If you don't have a priest reconciling you to God, then you're condemned under His wrath. If you don't have a priest interceding for you, you're never going to make it in the Christian life. You're going to stray, you're going to falter, you're going to slip away, fall into sin, make shipwreck of your faith. We need priests. We need a priest. But we don't just need any priest. And that's what the author to the Hebrews is emphasizing for us. We don't just need any priest. We need the great high priest. And, and he's really the only one who's actually able to do this job of reconciling and interceding. The Christians that this sermon to the Hebrews uh, was written to realized that they needed a priest. They felt their need for a priest. But, but they were looking at the priest that they knew under the Old Testament system and saying, that looks like a, a good option. There's something attractive to them about those Old Testament, the Old Testament priesthood. You could, you could go and you could see the priest slaughtering the bull. You could see it, right? And, and you, could, you could get that, that, that uh, uh, visible uh, sign that you've been forgiven of your sins. You could hear that priest's physical voice interceding for you. And, and right in the Old Testament, we see the priest would wear this breastplate with the stones in it, 12 stones representing the 12 tribes of Israel. And you can see that and say, that priest is representing me before God. 
So they looked at this Old Testament way and they thought, that must be better than what we have in Christ. The author of the Hebrews is saying, no, Christ is far better. Christ is the reality that all these priests were just shadows of. Now, you and I probably aren't tempted to look back at the Old Testament system and, and wish that's what we were, uh, what, what we had, right? We probably aren't tempted to, to want to bring a bull to sacrifice to the service tonight um, and have the blood sprinkled. Uh, but uh, we are tempted, aren't we, in other ways, to add to Christ or, 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 or have a substitute priest? Perhaps you have a, a friend or a, a close confidant, someone that... That you, that you pour out your heart to, and it's good to have a friend like that. Scripture tells us to have friends like that, and we're commanded to confess our sins to each other, but there can come a point where that becomes your priest. You don't need to confess to God anymore because you've confessed to that friend. You don't need to hear God's word of encouragement in His Scripture. You don't need to go to Christ as your priest. You've got this friend. And it's nice to have that. It's good, but it can become an idol for us. So that can become a way in which we look for uh, an, an alternative or an addition to Christ. Or perhaps we just want to be our own priests. Right? We, want to, we want to make ourselves right before God with our behavior, with our, with, with our, with our good works. Or we, we think, I'll do the penance. I'll pay the price for my sin myself. Uh, I'd rather do that and hold on to a shred of pride than trust in Christ as the priest. We're tempted to that, aren't we? To try to justify ourselves before the Lord, make atonement on our own terms before Him. Brothers and sisters, none of this will work. Only Christ is the priest that we need. Hebrews 7, 23-28 lays out for us four ways in which Christ is our great high priest. So let's look at these four aspects of Christ as our great high priest together. The first one, verses 23 to 24, we see that Christ is a permanent priest. A permanent priest. So the, uh, the situation in Hebrews, these Christians are looking back at the Old Testament system and being tempted to drift away from Christ. They're being attracted to the, the things that, that were pointing to Christ instead of Christ himself. But the author of the Hebrews points out here something that's fundamentally insufficient about the Old Testament system. He's trying to argue and uh, say you, you, you're, you're looking to the Old Testament. Well, the Old Testament points you to Jesus Christ. And he says you look at the Old Testament priests. They all died. Every single one of them died. You had to keep replacing the dead priest with a new priest over and over. There was no priest who lived forever. And so, there is no priest who had always been interceding for the people and reconciling the people to God. And, and, and the author of the Hebrews is saying, there is a, this is built into the system to show you that, that, that you need a priest who's going to be a priest forever, who will never stop in his work as a priest for you. A priest who would be permanent. Verse 24 says, but he, that's Christ, but he, because he continues forever, has an unchangeable priesthood. Christ is the unchangeable, the permanent priest. He's the priest who remains the priest forever. The author of the Hebrews through chapter 7 has been making this argument that Christ is of a different order, a different priesthood than the Old Testament priests. They were pre uh, Levitical priests of the tribe of Levi, but Jesus is the priest 
of the order of Melchizedek. Who's Melchizedek? He's a shows up in Genesis 14 as a priest. Kind of comes from nowhere in the narrative. He comes and he blesses Abraham. And uh, then he's not really seen much of again, but then he's referenced in Psalm 110. And Melchizedek there is shown to be a, a priest who has no genealogy, no descendants. And so, yes, even though he's a mere man, he's, he's, a, he's a type of a priest that lasts forever, a permanent priest. And that's the kind of priest that Jesus is. Jesus becomes the priest as he takes on our human nature, as he takes on our likeness. And in his humiliation, he, he uh, assumes his role as high priest. And, and then once he takes on that office, he's going to fulfill that office permanently without any end in sight. He's going to do it in his earthly life. We see that in the Gospels as he prays for his disciples. Think of the high priestly prayer in John 17. And then we see it as he offers up himself as a pure sacrifice. Right, This is what we see in fulfilling his office as priest. But then, when he rises to heaven, does he stop being our high priest? No, he continues forever as our priest. Hebrews 13.8 says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. And he's saying, besides saying that Jesus is the divine, unchangeable creator, he's also saying he's the priest who's going to be priest for you forever, permanently. There will be no lapse in Christ's office of priest. He'll never neglect it. He'll never, ever change. His will for his people, his heart for his people, as he's there at his Father's throne, just the same as it was on earth, unchanged. And his work as priest is just as ongoing. A permanent priest. That's what we have in Christ. Far better than the priests of the Old Testament. And far better than the alternatives that we put up, isn't it? To have a permanent priest. Then verse 25 tells us another thing about Christ, our priest. Verse 25 says that we have a praying priest. A praying priest. Jesus is in heaven. He's there in the flesh at his Father's right hand. What's he, what's he been doing these several thousand years? Praying. Interceding. Verse 25, he always lives to make intercession for us. He's risen. He's entered his reward. He's entered his rest. And every day, year after year, century after century, he's praying for his church. This is, this is the goal of his work as a priest. This is the consummation of his work as a priest. Right? He, he offered sacrifices for sins. He finished that work. That's done. And now he ascends to his Father and he says, apply to my people all that I accomplished for them while I was on earth. He accomplished what he did on the cross so that he could apply it to the church. And that's what he's praying for, that God would, that God would apply to the church everything he accomplished for the church. He's praying that God would give the church regeneration and new birth, right? right For all His elect, He's praying for the justification of all those who are His, for the adoption of, of, of all those who are His. For he's praying for our sanctification, for our growth in grace. Jesus is praying for your perseverance in the faith. 
All these things that he secured by his life, death, and resurrection, he's saying, Lord, now apply to them. Give it to them. Work it in them. He's praying that even as God raised him from the dead and brought him into heaven, so God would bring all the elect to heaven. This is very similar to what Paul writes over in Romans 8.34. He says, Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. That's what Christ is doing. He's a praying priest. And he's there before his Father. And and we can remember that um, image I mentioned a few minutes ago of the Old Testament priest with his breastplate. And on that breastplate, the stones representing the tribes of Israel. And, and that's what Christ is now doing before His Father. He's standing, representing us before Him, interceding and praying that God would bless the church. He's asking God to give us everything that God has promised to on the basis of what He has done. This is such an encouragement that Christ continues in this office permanently as a praying priest for us. Right? He is praying for you, loved ones, as you trust in Him. He's your priest interceding on your behalf, saying, Lord, give them everything I bought for them. Work it in them. It's such a wonderful encouragement to know when someone's praying for you. Isn't it? Someone, your brother or sister in Christ says, I'm praying for you. And it's an encouragement when, when you know it's a, a godly person, maybe a parent or a pastor, a spouse, a friend. Someone you really respect in the faith. They say, I'm praying for you. You know they mean it. You know they really are praying for you. And you have, you have some encouragement, right? Knowing that, that, that they're a godly believer. But how much more precious to us is it that Jesus Christ is praying for you? What should this mean for us? That he's praying for us. Verse 25, the first half of verse 25 tells us, it says, Therefore, he is also able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him. Because Jesus has entered heaven, he is alive with the resurrection life in heaven as our permanent high priest praying for us. Therefore, he's able to save us to the uttermost. As we look at the uh, original context here that this letter is written in, This is a church that's struggling and suffering. They're under lots of pressure and persecution. Some of them have been put in prison. Uh, Some of them have had their property stolen. Um, uh, uh, They're under intense pressure to give up on Christ. Some of them are backsliding. We read these these great warnings in Hebrews. Uh, not, Not to be like that generation that fell in the wilderness in unbelief. This is a book with many warnings like that about drifting away from Christ. But, but here in this point in the sermon, the author is saying, here's your hope that you won't do that. Jesus is able to save to the uttermost. The word uttermost there means not just that he's going to save you eventually or ultimately. Um, he's not just going to save you on the last day. He's going to save you comprehensively. That's what the word means. One commentator writes this, this, the salvation this priest provides is complete, addressing every aspect of our spiritual need. Every aspect of your spiritual need, this priest 
saves you. There's not a single aspect of your spiritual need which Jesus is not praying for and which He's not sufficient to meet. He's the Good Shepherd. And He is tending us perfectly with wisdom and skill. And He's pursuing us. And He's guarding us with His, with his goodness and His mercy. And He's going to bring us into the house of the Lord forever. For this is the goal of His praying for His church. To bring them to where He is. He is, he is, as it were, praying us to heaven. He is going to save us comprehensively. And He will not rest till we are there with Him, secure in Him forever. He's a praying priest. Third thing we see in the text, verses 26 to 27, is that Jesus is also a pure priest. A pure priest. Everything that Jesus, uh, as our high priest, is praying for is based on something. It's based on what he did. What he prays for is based on what he purchased. He, he purchased uh, our, 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 our atonement, our reconciliation with God, the blessing of God for us. And he's, and he's basing his prayers for us on that work that he's done. So here the author to the Hebrews draws our attention to how he, how he purchased this blessing for us. Verse 26, he describes Jesus as holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners. In verse 27, he describes him as having no need daily as those high priests to offer up sacrifices first for his own sins and then for the people's. For this he did once for all when he offered up himself. Right? We're seeing this comparison with the Old Testament priests and Hebrews is saying Jesus is better. They had to offer sacrifices daily. They had to offer sacrifices for their own sins first. But Jesus didn't have to do that. They had to offer all these different kinds of sacrifices. Sacrifices for others, sacrifices for themselves. Jesus is better. He is pure. He's holy. He's sinless in himself. He doesn't have to offer a sacrifice for himself. He is already holy before God. And so he didn't have to, right, the Old Testament priests, they have to go through all this cleansing and these, these rituals and, and follow these rules about what's clean and unclean, what they can touch and not and, and eat and not. And, and uh, Jesus, right, he is perfectly holy in his, in, his, in his perfect righteousness and his sinlessness before God. So he's perfectly qualified like, like no one else. He's fitted to stand before God, make intercession for us because of his purity, but not just as our priest, but also as the sacrifice. There was no priest in the Old Testament that would come up to the altar and then lay himself on it, have himself be slaughtered for the sin of the people. No, Jesus is the only one who is both priest and sacrifice. He comes and he's not only the pure priest offering the sacrifice, he is the pure, spotless lamb that is sacrificed. The sacrifices the Jews were commanded to bring had to be pure before God. They had to be spotless. They had to be without blemish. And that's what Jesus is. And the text tells us Jesus doesn't need to continue offering these sacrifices. He doesn't need to continue going on making atonement for the sins of the people. Uh, Hebrews 10 tells us later on here in Hebrews that the very fact that the Old Testament sacrifices had to be made over and over shows us the animal sacrifices weren't, weren't really effective. 
They weren't actually taking away or covering sins. Isaac Watts' hymn puts it so well. Not all the blood of beasts on Jewish altars slain could give the guilty conscience peace or wash away the stain. But Christ, the heavenly Lamb, takes all our sins away, a sacrifice of nobler name and richer blood than they. That's exactly the message of Hebrews. Christ is the one who can, as our sacrifice, take our sins away. Why is it that his sacrifice is sufficient when all those others weren't? Well, a a beast cannot bear the guilt of man. A beast, an animal can't take the punishment that is owed to man. Right? It, It can be symbolic of that, but only man could bear man's guilt. It had to be a man that would come as the sacrifice for sin because it was a man that sinned. Christ was made like us in that, right? He's, he's, he's made a man so that he can bear the guilt and the, the punishment for our, our, our sin. But at the same time, he has to be more than man. He has to be able to bear the infinite wrath of God for our sins. So he comes as God and man together in one person as our pure high priest offering up this once-for-all sacrifice to sanctify the people and atone for their sins. Christ is the pure There's no other priest, loved ones, who's sufficient to make sacrifice for us and reconcile us to God. Then the fourth thing about Christ as our priest is that he is a perfected priest. Final verse here. The final aspect of Jesus' priesthood is that he, unlike all the priests under the Old Testament, he is a priest who's been perfected, the text says, perfected forever. And the text draws out this difference, again, how Christ is superior. It says, under the Old Testament, you had these priests, and, and, and yeah, they, they, they did the job of, of, of pointing us forward to Christ, but they're mere men, and they're there in their sin, and they're there in their weakness. They're mortals, and they could not be perfected because they're sinners and because they're weak. Right? They were priests who could not remain as God's priests for all time. They couldn't be permanent. They were insufficient to meet the needs of God's people because they're weak. But then he says there's, the difference is Jesus Christ is not like this at all. He's been appointed not by God's law, but by God's oath, by God's promise. He's been, he's been made priest according to God's promise in Psalm 110. This isn't in the context we read, but if you back up in Hebrews 7 to verses 20 to 21, we see that um, there Jesus is, is, is promised to us. In Psalm 110, it says, The Lord has sworn and will not relent. You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. So in Psalm 110, God is promising this priest, who's going to be the permanent, perfect priest, his own son. And the author of the Hebrews is saying, Jesus is that one. Been made a priest by the promise of God. And God has perfected him. He's brought him through this life of suffering and obedience. He kept him sinless through all that. He brought him through death. He brought him into eternal life. And so this high priest we have is in heaven now, exalted at the right hand of God, and he's perfected. He cannot fail. The point, loved ones, of all of this is that there is no priest like Jesus Christ to reconcile us to God. He's the only one, and he is the one who intercedes for us as well. What should our response be? First, we should rest in Christ. 
as our priest. He has cleansed us. He's cleansed you. One writer says, this passage persuades our insecure hearts that Jesus' offering of Himself as our atoning sacrifice cleanses us through and through, inside and out. Are you trusting in Christ? You're cleansed through and through. No past, present, or future sin will stain. You're clean in Christ through and through. That total depravity we have in Adam washed away. It's a glorious thing. Rest in that. Our, our guilt can come back and, and haunt us, right? The guilt of past sin, the guilt of present sin we're wrestling with, the fear of future sin staining us and disqualifying us. Our hope is in the priesthood of Christ who cleanses us through and through. Rest in that. We should also take courage. The second way to respond is by taking courage Knowing that Christ is praying for you. Knowing that He is interceding on your behalf. And that He's praying that everything He accomplished would be applied to you. Every benefit He secured would be given to you and worked in you by His Spirit. He's praying for that. What courage this should give us. You have Jesus Christ praying for you. Whatever you're facing, whatever temptations you're facing, whatever difficulties, suffering you're going through, difficulties uh, uh, standing in your path, whatever anxieties you have regarding the future, Jesus Christ is praying for you that you'd persevere and that you'd be faithful through it. His prayers will be heard. The Father will not say no to what Jesus prays for you. He's praying that you'd be made more like Him. Whatever comes, whatever discipline and difficult providence you might have to go through, He's praying for you that you be made more like Him. And He's praying you to heaven. He should give us courage. Third way to respond. We should draw near to the Father through Christ. Verse 26 tells us that Christ is in heaven. He's entered the presence of God. And so this gives us this great boldness that we also can draw near to God. And come there. Right? Jesus is there in heaven, and that reminds us that that's where my place is now. My priest, the Lord Jesus Christ, represents me there. And, and I have an audience with God now, so I can come to the throne of grace with boldness and courage. Not, uh, not, 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 uh, not scared to approach God and seek His favor, but bold because of Christ. Because of your high priest, we have this great promise that God hears us and He welcomes us into His presence. So take advantage of it. Go to Him. Seek Him out. Draw near to the Father through Christ. So loved ones, don't trust any other priest. No other person, not yourself. Don't add to the work of Christ here. Look to Jesus Christ. He's the great high priest who has reconciled you to God and who intercedes for you. Let's pray together. Lord God, thank you that you've sent Jesus Christ to be our great high priest. We pray that we would forsake all others and take him, that we would not look to anyone else or to anything else to give us right standing before you. And Lord, we pray that you would continue in your office of priest, Jesus Christ, that you would, that you would continue to be faithful to this office, even as you have now for so long. 
you would continue to preserve us and keep us and bless us and bring us to heaven with you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.